welcome back to a new episode of For the Love of Weather podcast, where we discuss all things weather and how they can impact our daily lives. We hope, like always, you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more. My name is Gemma. Hello, and my name is Ashling, and I currently have a little bit of hay fever and a head cold, which is probably why I sound a little bit different today. But as always, I'm so excited to introduce our next guest. I've got Chris Bell from WeatherQuest. So Chris is Texan. Now, maybe, Chris, you don't think you sound Texan anymore, but oh my God, your accent is so strong. It's absolutely awesome. But you're the forecasting director of WeatherQuest. You're also a lecturer in meteorology at the University of East Anglia and pretty much an expert on anything weather, but also on storms, storm chasing, but you like to get your teeth into everything, don't you? And occasionally do, you present yeah. on Luck East as well. I do, yes, yeah. So a little fingers and all the pies. Yeah, which is great. And also, I just need to address very quickly. Last year, there is a picture of you with very little clothing on, diving into some snow. <laughs> I don't have a clue what you're talking about, Ashley. Go on, tell us. You have to tell us about it. Go on. Let, let's start there. Let's start there. Because come on, it made the BBC yeah. news. It's amazing. No, it was probably the, the first time I've ever been viral. So that was, uh, that was interesting. Um, it, it literally started out as a joke, um, as most of these kinds of things do. Obviously, it started snowing uh, in North Norfolk um, in February. And uh, at the beginning of the snow event, there were a couple of um, uh, computer model runs that were suggesting that 30 centimeters of snow was possible in, in somewhere in Norfolk. Yeah. Um, so I made a joke to some of my buddies that if we had 30 centimeters of snow in my back garden, I would jump into it in my in my underpants. <laughs> Which you so, did. So Yeah, the first day or two, I mean, it was it, th- this accumulated over about four or five days, as you guys know. Yeah. And uh, the first day or two, it was, it was just a joke. You know, we had like five, uh, five centimeters on the ground after the first night. And then we had about eight or nine after the second night. And then it gone up to like 13 to 15. And um, my wife started getting involved and, and laughing and saying, you, this is going to happen. And I was like, no, it's still got halfway to go. Um, and anyway, we got there. And so there we were. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It brought such a smile to my face. And I now associate you with jumping into the snow half naked. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Not my um, not my best moment in my career. Probably, oh, my but God. Probably the most memorable. I, I think it, <laughs> brilliant. It's just so fun. And like, just so fun. But also, like, if you just dig behind what actually happened there, you had all these different model runs. It was indicating, I remember, because I remember it, that somewhere was going to get some pretty thick snow, but snow is so hard to forecast for. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I I, I guess I kind of thought that 20 centimetres was going to be doable. And we'd had a, an event, um, well, obviously, we'd had the beast from the east uh, a few years before, and I had had about 18 centimetres in the back garden and that. And honestly, I thought, you know, that was one of the kind of more memorable winter weather events in the last decade or so uh, in this country. And I thought, well, there's no way we're going to beat that in this one. It's not as cold. It wasn't quite as cold of air and yeah, we didn't have yeah. quite as strong of an easterly. So I wasn't too worried about it. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> we'd have to see what your next bet is for this year if we get any snow. Yeah, I've learned how do you, my lesson. What do you do next? Diving into the snow. Uh, You'll have to dive into the snow naked. That's the next thing. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. Nobody wanted <laughs> to see the other bit. So 
<laughs> I did have to, I have to say that um, probably the best thing for me that came out of it was, um, so obviously it went onto Twitter and it got lots of feedback and stuff, but uh, lots of people saying how much, it, you know, it gave them a smile. And since we were in the midst of COVID at the time yes. and everything, and hardly anybody was getting out and about, um, that made me feel kind of good that, you know, everybody could have a laugh at my expense. So, that, you know, that was a bit of an emotional boost. Oh, yeah, no, it was. It totally like cheered me up. No end. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. So I know that you so you come from a really warm climate, really, really warm climate. So you live in Texas. It's crazy. It's hot. It's humid. It easily gets up into the over 100 Fahrenheit. So like easily into the high 30s over there. But that humidity there is pretty intense. So you actually have quite a lot of experience watching thunderstorms develop. So before we get on to that, how accurate is Twister, the movie? Oh, that's a really good question to come out with right off the bat. So the, 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 I guess the meteorology in Twister is a bit, you know, very Hollywooded out. Um, you know, they, they've, they've kind of gone on the extreme with it a bit. But what I thought Twister did a really good job of is it actually captures the spirit of a storm chase really well. So, you know, there are meteorological bits as a, as a forecaster and a weather person, you watch it and you think, well, you know, I can, that's not how that would happen. But, <laughs> but overall, that excitement that they have and, you know, going to Meg's and eating the big steak and eggs dinner and stuff like that, you know, that these are the kinds of things that sort of happen on a, uh, you know, on a storm chase. So they did a good job with that part for sure. It's my favorite film. I love it. It actually inspired me to become a forecaster. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Nice. Have you ever have you ever seen a flying cow on any of your storm chases? <laughs> no, <of> <laughs> no. I, I did, we we did see the uh, the flying trampoline and the uh, flying wheelie bin recently though in London, didn't we? So <laughs> yeah, there's always a flying trampoline when it's there's windy. always a flying okay. trampoline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Get these little vortices underneath them, and they just lift. Yeah, it's fantastic. They make for great footage, but obviously, it's like please don't go anywhere except the garden. <laughs> need to anchor them down <laughs> I don't even know if that helps really <laughs> so actually and you know what actually before we normally start we normally just ask all of our guests you know when was that first little spark the first little love of you thinking to yourself I just want to know more about this subject where tell us all about that well listening to some of your previous guests I, I think I have some of a, a similar story in the fact that to be honest with you, I can't remember not wanting to be uh, a meteorologist. I mean, I've got bits and pieces from primary school where it says that's what I want to be when I grow up. Um, one mm. of my earlier memories was, you know, I think I must have been in like first grade, which is like reception age, you know, uh, in America. And uh, the local weatherman from our TV station who who's actually still on air he's been on air for like 50 years now wow. uh, Greg Bostwick wow. uh, in, in Beaumont Texas and uh, he came to our school and uh, honestly that there could have the president could have been there and I would have rather have seen Greg um, so it, you know I've just I've always loved it um, I can't ever remember not loving the weather I remember my my parents uh, God love them they're not scientists uh, my dad's a psychologist or, or, or is a retired psychologist my mom's school teacher but I just ask question after question after question about weather and how lightning forms and that sort of thing and my poor dad um you know I guess <laughs> he had to try to probably research some of those answers back <laughs> before the days of the internet <laughs> yeah 
So yeah, um, ba basically, an another very early memory that I tell people about is, so I used to, uh, growing up in Southeast Texas, um, you already kind of mentioned uh, the hot and humid climate. Well, in the afternoon, um, after you get the daytime heating, heating up the land, you get the big cumulonimbus clouds, you get thunderstorms developing in the afternoon. So almost every afternoon in Southeast Texas in the summer between sort of late May through till mid-September, there are thunderstorms around almost each day, mm -hmm. whether one happens over your house or whether it's 15, 20 miles away. But we were close enough to the coast as well, where um, we would have a sea breeze off the Gulf of Mexico and a sea breeze in that kind of climate almost generates thunderstorms in itself. Um, I laugh around here when we get sea breezes off the coast yeah. of Norfolk, uh, you know, and their little showers might develop and I get excited about that, but you get big thunderstorms that, that can come in off of these um, and the land breeze at night that goes offshore as well. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe mention that later on uh, as a memory, but um, anyway, so in the afternoons, these thunderstorms are quite common. I remember I used to stand at the window and watch the rain and the gusty winds and lightning strikes and stuff. And lightning actually struck a tree across the street from my parents' house and it blew every bit of bark off of it, like immediately. Um, you know, and obviously it was only probably 100 yards away, r loud rumbles of thunder afterwards. And I wanted to run out there and look at the tree and my parents like, you can't go outside in this. So, I, and I can't have been more than I, probably six or seven years old at the time. So. Uh, you know, and I, I just remember, you know, how much um, adrenaline I had from that, even as a kid. So it, it didn't scare you at all. You were just really excited for it. I, not not scared at all. Um, I used to love the the fact that we would get the thunderstorms and um, and hopefully that would knock the electricity out because that was fun as well. And it, I, this is a funny uh, term that we had growing up. So you'd get these thunderstorms in the summertime and they would flood the streets, you know, flash flood the streets for a little while. Um, and in Texas, you would call them gully washers. And so me and my brother used to make boats out of a aluminum or aluminum foil and we would put them in the street and our street had a gentle decline down to this little gully uh, down at the end of the road. And um, uh, we would race them down to the end of the road whenever we would get these thunderstorms. So that's another memory I had. I'm slightly concerned by the fact that you were putting aluminium into water in a thunderstorm as a young child and racing beside it. It was normally after the thunderstorm finished. So, you know, after it, it dissipated, we would go out and, you know, and, and play. So, yeah. Do you, do, you, um, do you think people in Texas have a different kind of understanding of the weather? So myself and Gemma have this conversation all the time about showers. Yeah. how well we actually describe them and how well people actually understand them are people more like ex I don't know accepting of the uncertainty of showers in Texas like do they understand I don't know is it yeah is there a difference I, I yeah so that that's a good question uh, in terms of uh, the the descriptive nature of how widespread showers might be and you know obviously in this country we use terms like isolated scattered widespread that kind of thing and you do hear that terminology in the states as well but it is much more common on a tv forecast for example to hear the uh, the weather presenter say there'll be a 30 percent chance of thunderstorms this afternoon um, and there's always a, a interesting debate about what 30 percent means but when you hear it on television, particularly in a local television market in America, it tends to mean so if, if Greg, who, who's the, the, the forecaster that I remember growing up in, in Beaumont, Texas, if he said that on air, what he would mean is that 
30% of the viewing area would see a thunderstorm or, you know, a heavy shower or a thunderstorm nice. that afternoon. So it was a coverage percent rather yeah. than a point location chance of it happening. Mm. Um, and I think people do sort of, but because you hear it every day, uh, you hear 30%, then the next day you might hear 50 and 60 or whatever. And over time, you kind of start to understand what that means. Mm. And I remember growing up, I didn't really pay attention unless it was 30% or more. And so yeah. 30% was kind of that golden you know golden figure if it was below if they said 10 or 20 percent you weren't going to see anything if they said 40 or 50 I would start getting excited that's really interesting so they're kind of suggesting that there definitely will be showers but the aerial coverage is about 30 percent of whatever that station covers yeah so I think that's probably Mm. one thing that's a little bit easier um, particularly in the summertime in southeast Texas as I said it's very uncommon unless you've got a pretty strong area of high pressure um, developing that you're not going to get scattered showers. I mean, not to go into the technical details, but you hear the word Cape used uh, in meteorology as a, as a measurement for the uh, instability of the atmosphere. And in this country, we get excited when there's (laughs) two or 300 joules of Cape Cape, and over there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Over there, you know, 1500, 2000 joules of Cape every afternoon in the summertime. So Big tall thunderstorms and my colleague Dan Holly, who some of the listeners probably all know from BBC Look East as well. um, I took him storm chasing with me back for the first time that he had ever gone uh, back in, I think, 2012. And his first comment the first day we were out there and we weren't even in the Great Plains. We were at my parents' house and I just we went down the road and we're watching these afternoon thunderstorms bubble up. You could actually see the towers of the thunderstorms growing with your eye. Yeah. and he was just like, oh, oh my God, you can actually see that going up. <laughs> I was going to ask, you mentioned Kate, but is there anything else that you would look at when it comes to forecasting thunderstorms? Yeah, another good question there. So that that's always the, the tricky part. And, um, you know, the day we're recording uh, today has been an interesting one from the particular perspective of would or will there or wouldn't there be lightning uh, there's a lot of showers around in east anglia this afternoon and some pretty heavy downpours and local flooding but there wasn't a lot of lightning strikes and that was because of the depth of the showers in the atmosphere they weren't growing tall enough obviously to get into the colder air and you need that cold air in the upper atmosphere to generate uh, hailstones which then as you guys know bump into each other and, and produce a, a static charge and uh, you get your lightning from that. So today's showers, we were kind of on the on the edge of whether or not they would get tall enough to have enough mm. hailstones in the top of them to help generate a lightning strike. Turns out there were a few. But um, so in terms of forecasting thunderstorms, you're you're not just looking at the the Cape because if you look at Cape, for example, over the Gulf of Mexico, every afternoon it's going to be two or three thousand joules. But obviously, there's not thunderstorms every day because you can have dry layers in the atmosphere that kind of uh, keep the the convection from bubbling up and uh, so so there are other elements to it so things you're, you're looking at the temperature difference between the surface and the middle of the atmosphere um, the greater the difference in temperature the more likely there is to be air rising and if you've got the moisture and that's the other part the moisture level so uh, you, you're both, uh, you know, a meteorologist as well, and you know that looking at um, the weather balloon releases um, are, are very important from a thunderstorm forecasting perspective because they can tell us about the humidity profile in the air above us. Uh, and if you've got a lot of humidity and moisture up there, you're more likely to have a thunderstorm as well. Sure. So, 
I tell you something today I got so I was surprised myself actually there wasn't a little bit more thunder today because of the intensity of the precipitation the precipitable water today was huge I I actually lifted I was in a shop and I, I was looking at the radar myself and I was like I don't I can't keep these boys quiet for 30 minutes I could tell I you know um, I could, and I knew when I was going out, I was likely going to drive into a shower as well. And I knew how big it was going to be. And I lifted up one of them and the other one, one was on my arm, one was on my hip. And I ran, but I literally ran into water that was like, like up to my ankles. The amount yeah. of water today was unbelievable. Yeah, that, there, we, we sort of call that in, in, in a sense today that the, the cape was fat. Yeah, um, yeah. So the, the lower level profile had a lot of instability in it and there was less instability in the middle layers of the atmosphere. So because there was a lot of humidity low down and the other reason why the showers caused a lot of local flooding today is that there was very little steering winds in the upper atmosphere. Mm, so where the showers stuck. developed, they mm. were slow moving yeah. and, you know, and kind of set over the same area for a while. Yeah, it was definitely a, a classic forecaster reference book setup. Yeah today but I was still I genuinely was still surprised though actually at the amount of water that was that fell was just it actually took me by surprise and I did think to myself you know you have these things in the back of your head when you're a forecaster as well where you're like I know that a couple of inches of water is actually enough to cause some problems with my car and I was thinking geez I've got my boys in the car if I just happen Mm -hmm. to be the wrong place at the wrong time with just that few inches I could see how much was coming down which is actually why I made the decision in the end to run put them in the car I was like I don't want to hang around for another half an hour and have another half an hour of accumulated you know water mm-hmm. but, yeah you know, no. I think there were there were a couple of private weather stations in the Norwich area that recorded almost 50 millimeters of rain over the course of about yeah. two or three hours today so you know it's that's a, a, a month's worth of rain as they say uh, yeah. in an afternoon so yeah that's crazy so I've touched on it a little bit but are there any main differences between the thunderstorms that you get in the UK and the ones that you get in the USA, for example? So very well, I'll introduce a term um, uh, called uh, a supercell, um, which I'm sure you guys have heard of before and you may have even talked about in a previous uh, episode, but supercell thunderstorms are, are a special type of thunderstorm in which the air that's rising into the thunderstorm normally in a sort of summer thunderstorm in Britain, what you'd have is the sun comes up, it heats up the land, your air rises, it condenses into clouds, and if you've got enough moisture into raindrops, those raindrops fall back down through the air that's rising and choke off the storm, basically. And so the process of that shower developing and raining and then raining itself out and then you're back to sunshine, that all can happen within about an hour. You know, you can go from uh, sunny skies to a heavy shower back to sunny skies in, in, you know, sort of an hour's time. In a supercell thunderstorm, which is the types of thunderstorms that cause the, the severe weather in the Great Plains of the United States, those are, the, the updrafts are tilted um, and they're also rotating. So a tilted updraft means that the air that's rising into the storm can carry on doing that because the downdraft part of the storm is a different part of the storm Um, Mm -hmm. and so the rain is coming out one side and the air is going up into the other side and the storm never really chokes itself off it can kind of continuously feed that warm moist air into the updraft and 
super soft thunderstorms. I've watched uh, I've watched them on radar before go across the entire state of Oklahoma, for example. Um, so we're talking about one thunderstorm traveling several hundred miles uh, without stopping and, and without losing intensity. I've tracked one cell before on a radar for seven or eight hours, even. Wow. Are they um, like daughter cells or is, is that storm that original storm or is it like a, you know, a daughter cell as it's moving? Like There can be a combination of, of the two. I mean, a, you know, a true classic supercell thunderstorm is usually a, a single updraft that is that's kept um, throughout its life cycle. Um, and because of that feed of air going up into it, that original updraft and cell, you know, updraft, downdraft um, cell can be completed and, and continue for, for a long time. However, when you get the heavy rain coming out of, of one of these thunderstorms, that cool air that rushes out away from the storm can basically force warm air to rise ahead of it as well. And you can get daughter cells uh, or further, you know, uh, thunderstorms developing on the flanking line of these supercell thunderstorms. Um, they, they kind of form their own little mini cold fronts and, and along that boundary, you can okay. get you know, further, further stuff going up. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. it's like, oh, I don't know. There's all of the physics of all of this, you know, and there's like the, for me, I'm very visual. So there's the visuals of all of this, but on any one day, every single solitary thunderstorm and weather pattern is still completely different. That just actually blows my mind. It's just crazy. That, that's one thing I love about our job. People go into work and, you know, I, I can't imagine going into a job where you have to do the same routine or, or the same thing every day. So we, yeah. we do the same thing every day, but what you do in terms of looking at the weather, it, it might look similar to a day you had, you know, last week or whatever, but the outcome will, will often be different. And so it's that challenge of, you know, trying to remember a similar setup, but the challenge is it's different every time. So um, I, I love that about the job and it, you know, it never gets old and it means you get to learn something new every single day. It's definitely something I love about my job. I never stop learning. I think the day yeah. I stop learning, it's time to move away. Yeah. But that just hasn't even come close yet. And also I forget things and relearn them. And as the seasons change over here, I'm like, oh yeah. You know, I that forgot that that could happen. Or the more night shifts you do. My memory's terrible from night shifts. <laughs> yeah. I've got some friends who have, you know, really good memories of weather events. If something will happen and they'll say, well, that was just like uh, the 10th of July, 2007. And I'm like, well, what happened then? (laughs) Yeah, I just, I mean, all of people that can recall those weather events, because I really struggle to remember what happened last week a lot of the time. And they're like, yeah, Yeah. that that time 10 years ago. And you're like, I I can recall something unusual happening, but I cannot recall, you know, I couldn't recall the details of it. There might be, because maybe something I learned from it, you know, has stuck in my head. And I'll say, oh yeah, I remember, you know, oh God, I'm trying to think of an example. A low running down the North Sea. I can't remember when it was, but when I actually saw it and I saw the tidal gauges, it was kind of at that point. It must have been much earlier in my forecasting career. You know, where you like pin things together and you're like, oh yeah, mm. but the art code not tell you when it was, but I remember something happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's uh, that's the way it goes. You and and as you say, sometimes you'll 
you will forget that you knew that it had happened and then a, a similar event comes up and you know mm -hmm. it makes you completely you know, remember it all again so uh, yeah. uh that, that is the interesting uh thing about the weather you mentioned the low coming down the north sea and that reminded me of one of my favorite weather events uh, that's happened since i moved to the uk and that was the very first year i moved here so i was living uh in a uh, in a rented flat in the middle of norwich and it was the first winter that i had moved here permanently so i think it must have been 2005 uh into 2006 um I've, I've been in the uk longer than that but that's when we moved back here permanently it was one of these lows coming down the north sea early in the winter so there was a nice northerly coming down uh, showers feeding in off the north sea as they do and there was some hail and stuff like that and it finally got cold enough to start snowing uh, and then there was a massive rumble of thunder uh, and i saw the flash and, and the rumble of thunder in the middle of the snow and um, you know, that was one of the highlights of my weather career. Thunder um, snow. Thunder snow. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. I'll never forget that. I haven't seen it since. There's been some close opportunities, um, yeah. you know, in Norfolk with these northerlies that you get in, in early in the winter, especially when the sea temperatures are still relatively warm. But um, but yeah, that's the only time I've seen it. Do you know, with, I guess, with the evolution of like, um, you know, social media platforms, you know, you do see thunder snow a bit more. Doesn't mean it's yeah. very common, but you just happen to capture it more because it's, you know, gone onto Twitter, it's gone onto Instagram or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Thunder snow is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. The acoustics are just, and I, I have only experienced it through social media. Me too. Me too. Amazing. Though. The floods of, um, of comments from the general public that come in about that as well, yeah. because, you know, a lot of people don't don't realize that it can snow and, and, and be lightning at the same time. Yeah. So. so I have an interesting question for you. So tornadoes here in the UK do actually happen. And I have some memory of some statistic in my head that actually per... It's, isn't it per area? Per like, aerial coverage. Yeah, there's more, there in, the more in the UK than there is in the US. Is, is that uh, something that's ringing a bell? Yes, that, that, is a, that is a stat that I've seen and I believe is true. Um, that, you know, per square mile in England, there are more yeah. tornadoes reported per year than per square mile in the United States. It's a bit of a misleading fact, um, as most stats are, um, yeah. or mm. can be anyway. Stats can be uh, made to, to however you want them to be sometimes. And, uh, and in this case, if I, you know, if this was a visual platform, I could show you a map of the climatology of tornado tracks in the United States. And think about the geography of the U.S. You've got the Rocky Mountains that run up the sort of central western part of the United States. And you've got the Appalachian Mountains that, that go up the eastern side of the U.S. And so the area in between that is where all the Gulf moisture, Gulf of Mexico moisture and warm, humid air gets funneled. On the other side of the Rockies, tornadoes are pretty uncommon and mm. quite rare, mm. um, much rarer than they are in the UK. And there aren't as many in the East Coast either. So if you were to look at, you know, the state of Oklahoma, for example, and compare tornadoes per square mile in Oklahoma, that would be a much higher figure than in the UK. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. you know, it's this land area size. And obviously, if you count the US, you're counting Alaska as well. And there are, you know, very few to no tornadoes up in Alaska either. So, yeah. Can can you talk to us about, I know it's it's a complicated, um, it's going to be, it's a complicated question I'm about to ask you, but can you explain to us how tornadoes form? <laughs> <laughs> Do, do we do we have uh, any longer than uh, than thirty minutes? <laughs> um, so yeah. So yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a it's a complicated set of ingredients, but you know, we talked about some of the ingredients for a super self understorm and, and the fact that you've got this rotating updraft. And what I didn't tell you about is what causes a, a rotating and tilted updraft. And that has to do with wind shear. So you've got this very unstable air where you've got very hot, humid air down near the surface uh, of the earth, and you might have very cold air in the upper atmosphere. So your air is rising, uh, and it's rising quite significantly as well, because uh, as we talked about, um, as Ashling said earlier, you can get temperatures uh, upwards of 100 degrees Fahrenheit uh, in the Great Plains of the U.S. in, in, in spring. So um, that, before I go on to the description of, uh, of tornadoes a little bit further, I, I, I also remember this little um, uh, tidbit that uh, in Amarillo, Texas, it, it's hap this happens, you know, once every few years in Amarillo, but you'll have a day where ahead of a cold front, your high temperature will be 95 degrees Fahrenheit and then a cold front will come through in the springtime and it'll bring all that cold air down from Canada across the plains and across the Rockies and you literally can have snow on the ground the next day so these yeah. massive temperature swings that um, from a UK perspective uh, a place like Amarillo can get a temperature swing in 24 to 48 hours what we get for our entire year you know that that, that sort of uh, big contrast in air masses also helps generate these big thunderstorms. So if you've got all that cold air that's pushing into very warm, humid air, it's almost like a bulldozer as it's trucking in because cold air is much more dense than warm air. So uh, as cold air moves into that warm air, it will force that warm air to rise uh, quite high in the atmosphere. And that's the other thing about a supercell thunderstorm. And also about the depth of the atmosphere down uh, in the Great Plains is that you can get thunderstorms that are as high as 60,000 feet above the Earth's surface, um, whereas a typical thunderstorm in the summertime 60, in the UK, 60,000 feet, yeah. So the anvil, like the top way, of the thunderstorm. way higher than an airplane. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. I, so there, there's some very oh. interesting images I'll have to share with you that um, I, I screenshotted, you know, the 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 thing, the apps you can go on where you can see the planes flying around and it you yeah. know, shows you that yeah. there's a, a million planes in the air above the earth at any one time. Well, there was a line of severe thunderstorms on a particular day in April, a few years back that extended from kind of Nebraska all the way down into South Texas. And you could see the aircraft having to go you know, either north or south of that line. And it was about 800, 1,000 miles long. So, I mean, I, I would imagine that some airlines were probably just canceling flights because they couldn't really go through yeah. it because yeah. you can't fly through, uh, you know, thunderstorms that have tops of 60,000 feet. You might find a gap in between them, but if you don't, then you're going to be circling around quite He's a while. Wow. I have seen a really great little video also from a number of years back of airplanes landing I think it was Heathrow in between thunderstorms where you could clearly see the air traffic like you know like directing them in and around it, it yeah that's a whole other gosh that's a whole other episode air traffic controlled thunderstorms <laughs> yeah you should definitely airplane. have someone on to do that yeah that's a job I would definitely not want <laughs> no oh no here, me neither here here I I you know I was I've done civilian and military um aviation forecasting uh, those air traffic control guys no thank you no <laughs> never want to do talk that. about i don't how i don't i it would be interesting you you definitely should have one on because i'd love for you to ask them 
how they de- decompress after a shift. You know, what, what do you do after that? I'm I, not I, sure one cold beer is going to do it. No, <laughs> no. I, I did see many years ago a national, gosh, maybe it was a national, I want to say, National Geographic Channel following some air traffic controllers at a Newark airport. And there was one of them that used to just watch, watch fish for like three hours. Just watch fish going, the stress, my goodness. Oh my I don't think I could handle that stress. It's too no. much for me. Yeah, ha- cup of tea, don't them. do it. No, it's too <laughs> much stress and a bit, for me. And a biscuit, and a biscuit. Yeah, I'd need a whole packet or two to do, do yeah. that stress. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, yeah, if we, and then, you, then you'd have to deal with the coming down off the sugar high and the the stress, exactly. and the stress. yeah big crash there yeah. <laughs> yeah so if we if we were to put you under pressure and ask you what is your favorite weather type and so that can be to forecast for to experience to whichever what is your favorite your top if you had to pull out something what would you know what's your top favorite weather type I mean, it, it, you know, it does sound um, like you would expect it to sound, but I, I never get tired of looking at, uh, at convection, you know, at summertime, right. thunderstorm situations like the one we've had today, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. And trying to figure out whether I, I quite like the marginal events, um, you know, the ones that are not so clear cut because, you, you know, especially if you have time now. You both know, uh, you know, when you do forecasting shifts and that sort of thing, you know, there's lots of tasks involved and you've got customers that you've got to, you know, get weather data to and that kind of thing. So you're a bit constrained sometimes to being able to step back from it and really analyze the hell out of it. Um, I I like those situations where you can kind of sit back and and just analyze the hell out of it um, and and try to figure out exactly what's going to happen. So. So yeah, I think for, forecasting thunderstorms is, is probably my favorite thing. But obviously, living in the UK, you don't see that as often. So you know, I, I've gotten quite fond of of looking at marginal snow events now as well. <laughs> oh gosh, wow! Do you know what? To be honest, actually, if I I've always said this, if I had one thing that you could hand me on a day, it would just be even if, if it was just one piece of information, it would be a teffigram. That would be it. One teffigram. Uh, yeah. Yep. And I could, I could just look at it all day. And if I had the, you know, if I had any, uh, you know, ability to construct anything on it, if it wasn't just like, a, I mean, obviously you can do it with a pencil anyway, but like if I had something that was yeah. know, calculating it for me, it would just be one teffigram. Oh, heaven, absolute heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've I found that, you know, doing some, my lecturing at UEA that I do. Um, so I teach first and second year environmental sciences and meteorology and oceanography students at UEA. And I teach the sort of intro parts of meteorology and, you know, I have to teach some of the sort of basic equation type stuff. I'm, I'm not a massively mathsy person myself. Uh, you know, I was listening to your, uh, to your interview with Matt uh, from, a, uh, from, I think it was March, you did that with Matt. And, you know, that really um, uh, very similar for me. I was very afraid of the more difficult maths uh, that were involved, but um there's ways around it and you know for for anybody listening that that's younger especially that thinking about meteorology don't be put off by that you know Mm -hmm. give it a shot and some of the especially for for you guys working in broadcasting and in the media world one thing that I always think is that some of the better forecasters uh, and broadcasters are the people who aren't the best at math 
because they're, you know, they're not going to get their head stuck into a textbook. They're better at talking and communicating with people. And so, yeah, there, there's plenty of scope for, you know, being in meteorology if you're not the greatest at math. You don't have to be the guy going in and changing the background computer models. So anyway, um, the, the point that I was trying to make before I got sidetracked there was that I've really grown fond of, of looking at a satellite image. You know, just put a satellite image down on a desk in front of a, a student. Uh, or show them a loop of a satellite image and don't tell them the date or anything and just see what they can tell you about it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the shadows um, from the different levels of cloud, either shining off to the uh, east or the west can tell you what time of day it is. Um, you know, you might be able to see snow cover over Scandinavia in the wintertime that, that where the white isn't moving, but the clouds are moving over the top of it. And so there's just so many things you can see. Even, um, even the color, even the color of the land, you know, and the sea yeah. just changes yep. so much. And always that time of year where you get that first satellite image where you just see tiny little evidence of convection, mm. little, <laughs> tiny, little, tiny, yeah. little baby clouds in, in, a, in a way that you know that land convection has started. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. that's another, oh, I'm torn now. No, it's still well, a tachygram well, for me. My, my mentor, Jim Bacon, um, basically used to always tell me that, um, uh, he would tell us all at WeatherQuest that Valentine's Day is the sort of average time of the year where you start to see odd bits of land convection occurring. Um, and through the years, it, you know, it never fails that you'll you'll see a little bit in early February, and it always makes me remember, you know, Jim telling us that and driving that into our heads early in my career. I really um, like Jim; he's great, great guy. I think that's where we first met, uh, Ashling. I think you yeah. did you come into the office um, once. Uh, yeah, I think. In, in that... Do you know? Do you know what? I think we were at a Royal Meteorological Conference. Okay. And I think Jim might have been there, and you were there as well. And I think that's when we first when we first met think but okay. I knew your name from um I don't know you just get to know people's names don't you I can't even remember at what point I knew because obviously you know weather quest you know all the weather companies and you know who's who it's a small world yeah, in meteorology in the end isn't it yeah, you get to yeah. Know and, and it become friendly with all of your rivals basically so, yeah because um, yeah. that's the thing they're not you know I you know they're they're not your rivals are they they're they're just like your pals that got a job in a different place yeah. and everyone's yep you all we all know if you are doing this job in whatever capacity you're doing it you're doing it because you love it yeah, exactly. you, just, you just would not do it otherwise and you just want to yeah. talk to whoever will listen to you yeah about basically the weather. and it's going to be your friends that work in weather even if yeah. they work for your rivals you have to just yeah. talk about the weather so that's right yeah. that's definitely yeah, one yeah. about my technical shifts is just like you were just chatting there about getting it like looking at nitty gritty stuff and just thinking why is this slightly different to yesterday or why is that you know yeah um and i never you know always think something new and having somebody's eyes on it as well is always a bonus yeah, yeah. You know, having yeah. Other people as well yeah. listening yeah. to other people talk about the weather as well yeah. i just well this is why we do the podcast i just find it fascinating yeah it's yeah just, it's a really a, a good place to you know to really kind of learn and and increase your your CPD, you know. Um, yeah, so yeah. Off, really off, offload your weather love as well because it's not always welcomed after <laughs> X amount of years in your home. It's like, really, do we have to talk yeah. about that cloud? Again? I regularly get told, are you talking about the weather again? Yeah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> no, I regularly, I'm like, oh my God, that's such a gorgeous cloud. Or maybe there's like a combination of clouds in the sky or 
you know, something that in my head, I'm like, you can see that change coming and you can almost imagine a Teffy Graham regularly of just like, well, stop and just think, oh, that's just such a beautiful example of that cloud to this day. And I am regularly told it's just a cloud. I'm like, it's not just a cloud. It's not just a cloud. It's not just a cloud. I take photos. I I regularly get told, are you taking photos of clouds again? You've got hundreds of them. Why do you need more? I'm like, well, that cloud is very different to the other 99 that I already have. So I'm going to take a picture of that cloud as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm exactly the same. I I think I probably have more cloud photos than I do uh, pictures of my kids. My wife reminds me of that. We'll scroll back through my photos. Oh God, there's you are, 12 you more pictures of the same cloud. You're, <laughs> you're in a safe space here, Chris. I'm the you're same. Space. We're all the same. Uh, well, j- just today, actually, my uh, sister-in-law back in Texas, she she changed her Facebook profile or her Facebook cover photo. You know, the bit at the top of the the Facebook uh, thing, and she changed it to a picture of a my brother um, is a golf pro back in the states and. So it was a picture of his golf course and a really pretty picture of, you know, a green um, with trees in the background and stuff. But in the in the distance, there was quite some there was some cloud in the foreground. But in the distance, there was some really pink shaded cumulonimbus clouds with oh, really beautiful. sharp edges to them. And I was like, oh, that's a beautiful picture of some developing uh, cumulonimbus. Yeah. <laughs> and she just posted back. Oh, God, you're a nerd. <laughs> yes I am and proud I'm like in my head already I'm like was it in the evening is that why there was pink in the cloud was there some yes. dust in the sky why was it a different color what time of day was this blah, blah, blah. I was just thinking I really want to see that photo now <laughs> I know yeah I'll share it with you yeah <laughs> we couldn't have you on really without just touching a little bit on storm chasing I mean storm chasing is up there on my bucket list when I tell people that I want to go and see a tornado or go storm station in the states they think that I'm absolutely crazy and can't imagine why I'd want to do it but I'm so up for it I'm like this would be amazing um, and I'm just wondering how well one how you got into it also why do you do it okay well I I um basically because I loved thunderstorms as a kid I can remember that one of the reasons why I was so excited about getting a driving license is because I wouldn't have to wait for the storm to come to me because I was saying earlier that you get these thunderstorms popping up around your house pretty regularly. Now in Southeast Texas, you don't get the big supercell thunderstorms very often. Mm. So um, we could, yeah, I didn't finish touching on what makes them different, but you don't get the wind shear in that part of Texas that you get out in the Great Plains that, that helps the, the thunderstorms to have a tilted up draft and, and to rotate and that kind of thing. But, you know, you get these thunderstorms in the afternoon, they pulse up, they produce, you know, a few dozen strokes of lightning, and then they're gone again. And I just, I wanted to see them every day. So when I got my driver's license, you know, I said, I'm not waiting this for this to come to my house. I, I, you know, I drive, you know, within a radius of about 20 or 30 miles with a little disposable camera, um, you know, and take pictures, um, uh, you know, if I could, or just drive underneath the storm or sit, you know, a few miles away and watch the, the cloud to ground lightning strikes that happen. And so it, it sort of started there, but that was just, you know, low level stuff. And then when I went off to, um, to do my master's degree at Mississippi State, they actually had a field trip that they sent students out with a couple of professors um, out to the Great Plains. And we would rent these vans and you'd drive around and the professors would be giving you briefings in the morning and you'd do this and you'd have to keep a little logbook of uh, observations along the way and that kind of thing. And so 
that was the first time I went officially storm chasing. But then obviously you're out there with people that love it the same way you do. So we would Mm. go on our own chases as well. The craziest one I had, I remember, um, so my, the, the university I was at in Mississippi, Mississippi State University, it's in Starkville, which is kind of North Mississippi. Me and a buddy, just the two of us, drove my car from North Mississippi all the way to Northern Missouri uh, in one day, chased that afternoon, I got, I got, saw a tornado. How far is back. that? Um, I, I wish I could tell you right off the top of my head, but we're talking about 12, 13 hours probably, you know, of a drive. We were gone over 24 hours, basically, um, without mm. staying in a hotel. Drove there, chased, drove home. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, pretty hardcore stuff and, you know, trying to stay awake for that. And I actually had an exam the, the day that we got back from that, but I had already calculated it in my head. It was it was a it was actually a practical exam on uh, weather graphics. You had to produce some weather graphics um, on a computer as if you were going in to present on TV. Uh, and I'd done enough of the the module already that even if I made a zero, it wasn't going to fail me to to go on this storm chase. <laughs> I came back and <laughs> I put my head on the desk and actually fell asleep in the exam. <laughs> I think I, I made a twenty percent on it. That's the most epic field trip ever. Yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah, really like awesome. I Aww. really respect that. And I actually get it. There was be a time in my life where I definitely would have done that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's down. There's no brain. Really great memories of you know of, of that and the friends that you make, you know, while you're out there and that sort of mm. thing. So so yeah, that's where it started. And that was back in the early two thousands. And then I would go pretty much every year when we lived over there. And then we moved over here and I went about every two or three years um, when I moved over here. So I went in 2006, 2009, uh, and then 2012 and 13, you know, flew out there to the Great Plains from here. And then I had my second kid and I haven't been out there since. <laughs> <laughs> what's You'll the get... best time? I was going to say, what's the best time of year if you wanted to go storm chasing? When would be the best time of year to go? Yeah. So the what, where, and, and, and how part of that, uh, the, the best time of the year is, uh, between sort of late April and mid June, mm-hmm. so um, the season uh, in April tends to happen further south in the United States, and then and then as the warm air pushes further north through the spring, the 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 so you kind of the peak of the season is in early May, and that's through kind of uh, Oklahoma, North Texas, Oklahoma, south, southern parts of Kansas, and then into June you're starting to climatologically be more up into uh northern kansas and nebraska and that kind of thing so that's that's the sort of time of the year um and then obviously if you want to do storm chasing you're probably talking about flying into somewhere like uh, dallas texas or denver colorado uh, renting a car and then being willing to to just drive um you know and lots of time on the road um i've driven close to a thousand miles in one day before wow what because yeah yeah definitely um it's it it isn't out of the question to to put ten thousand miles on a car over a two and a half week storm chase because you could be in texas chasing and then you know a couple of days later you're all the way up into northern nebraska and that's you know a good sort of 15 16 hour drive north Mm. i guess the roads are pretty straight as well i'm thinking like to cover a thousand miles here you'd have to go through a lot of windy roads (laughs) 
Yes, you can get from A to B much, much quicker there. And, it, you know, it is easier to drive. The roads are quite wide and you get into places like Kansas and it, it literally is a grid. You know, you look at a Google Maps of Kansas and everything's north, south, east or west. And just um, you can just sort of I, set the cruise control and, and head out. <laughs> I'm always so fascinated how people from the States seem to just very intuitively know go east, go west, go north, go south. Occasionally Google Maps will say, turn east on something road. And I'm like, I have no idea which way east is. I have no idea which way north is. Like, in a, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't these days. Now I just rely on the fat nav so much. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, we're actually just flying through the time here. We're going to have to get to our get to know me round. Yeah, I was just thinking I could talk to you for hours. I You'd know. Have to have you come back onto the podcast. On it's just so fascinating. I'm definitely. I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. So um, it, yeah, if, if you're going to invite me back, I'm not going to say no. At some point. No, don't go anywhere yet. We've still we're not done. With that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Get to know me, Ryan. Let's go with it. So these are a mixture of some of them are weather related, and then some of them are super super random. So okay. we'll start with your favorite season. Autumn. Oh, yes. where, where in here in the UK? Why? Expand on that. <laughs> um, probably for two reasons. One, that I'm a big American football fan. So um, American football season is in autumn. But since living over here, I absolutely love Guy Fawkes Nights. Um, Halloween is one of my favorite uh, holidays. Just that whole time of the year, leaves on the ground, the smell in autumn. I don't like spring in the UK, um, especially in Norfolk. It's too cold. I'm just in Texas by March. You're in your t-shirt and shorts here, especially in North Norfolk because the sea temperatures are so chilly. You're still in your, you know, full-blown winter gear. So autumn is my favorite season, I would say. Chris, you may have said something there that just has floored me. I'm going to have to think about how this friendship goes forward. You don't like spring in the UK. <laughs> I take it you're a it's spring like, fan then. It's favorite forecasting season. It's like you get, oh yeah, wow, okay. Well, yeah, from a forecasting perspective, you know, the return of convection and that sort of thing, um, I, I, I do like it from that perspective. It's the fact that it just doesn't warm up quick enough for me. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that it, it so, so happens so often. It's a joke in our office now about how much Chris hates March. <laughs> and that's my first month you would think I would love it but I I can't stand March here I really can't but autumn is awesome here I, I love the fact that especially the, the coast of Norfolk sea temperatures are still relatively warm you can go up onto the coast in a you know kind of late September day when the kids are back at school and there's not many people up there and it, it's just it's just awesome yeah. my favorite have you got a favorite cloud oh now this this is interesting because a few years ago I would have probably said the standard cumulonimbus cloud but i would say my favorite cloud now is a nacreous cloud oh very nice mm. it is beautiful i got to see some of them yeah, you know a few years back and think they're probably one of the most rare cloud that you can see and do you want I, to explain what they are the beautiful i'm probably not even going to be able to get it right i know that they form only when you've got pretty much the the good old polar vortex, which is probably a whole nother conversation in itself, but you have to have very, very cold stratospheric air over you. And I, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that I don't know exactly how they form, Ashling, do you, do you know? So 
I do. It's oh, it's like most of the thing. It's just to do with water droplets, isn't it? You know. Yeah. And the, and yeah. and how the light, uh, you know, whereabouts, how much light is being reflected onto them, basically. So it's normally, you know, has dropped well below the this the horizon. So there's certain times of year where you can actually see them. But do you know yeah. what? Sometimes there is a beauty in forecasting, not knowing the thing that you yeah. need the most. Yeah. Because you just get to admire it. And actually, I yeah. think that's lovely as well. And I would say clouds are probably my favorite things. I'm a big, massive cloud fan, but I do forget things and I relearn them again. But sometimes it's just lovely to, it's like going into an art gallery. It's like, you don't have to know yeah. why you like it. You just need yep. to know that it brings you joy. No, so, I just, I remember when we, when I saw these in February, um, yeah. you know, several years ago now. And I literally, it, it was one of those moments in, in my life where it just, I kind of stopped me in my tracks. And yeah. I can remember just standing out in my back garden with this just goofy look on my face and felt like they weren't real. Um, I don't even know how to explain it. It was a real sort of magical experience for me anyway. And I don't want to, I, I, I want to see them again, but I don't want to go somewhere where they're more common. I want to see them somewhere where they're not common, like down here. So, yeah. you know, I can't wait for the day, hopefully, that we get to see them again. Yeah. And, you know, actually, the coast of Norfolk does get to see or, you know, East Anglia does get to see actually quite a few unusual, you know, unusual clouds. You know, we, we do. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I go and take pictures of the Noctilucent cloud uh, yeah. quite regularly this, this time of year, especially. So yeah. even about three or four nights ago, I went out at about 1130 or midnight down the road and took some pictures of the Noctilucent cloud. Um, Beautiful. And, and I love seeing those in the summertime. But yeah, that that nacreous cloud was just something else. I don't yeah. know. It, it almost felt like it needed a, a sort of bit of music in the background or something. Yeah. I think it's called the mother of pearl cloud, actually. Yeah. It's just popped into my head, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Tea or coffee? Oh, tea, definitely. Yeah. Always you know, in the morning, tea, the, you know, always. Or... No, no, I don't drink coffee at all. Oh, this is probably a good thing. Zero cups of coffee. My wife's a big coffee drinker. She likes tea as well, but... um. But yeah, I, tea tea all the way for me. Um, it's got to have sugar in it though as well. I need to cut that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went for honey for a while um, just because I figured that was a little bit more natural than putting the white sugar in my tea. Yeah. Um, it made me feel better about things, but it leaves a little bit of an aftertaste, honey does. So I ended up going back to the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I mean honey. But I think also it just depends as well what you've, we're such creatures of our upbringing. I think if you if you had honey in your tea when you were a kid, it would probably be something that you you know it's almost like it gets mm. written into your DNA as to what makes the best cup of tea, and it's normally whatever you were given when you were younger. Well, you know, most people are surprised being from Texas that I'm not a coffee drinker because we don't drink hot tea in Texas. Um, no, no, you drink so, coffee, cold coffee. Yeah, so uh, iced tea. Yeah, so that's what I grew up tea. drinking iced tea. And then when I moved over here, I would I would make a cup of hot tea and then put some ice cubes in it. But over time, I've I've learned how to drink a proper cup of English tea. It's too cold over here to be having iced tea. Yeah. Most of the time, you need a cup yeah. of tea to warm you up. <laughs> <laughs> Jammy Dodgers or Jaffa cakes? Oh, controversial that I'm going to probably say almost neither. But if I had to go for one, I would go for the Jammy Dodger. And how I'm do more you of a custard it? cream and Oreo man. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get the Oreo thing again. That's very American, isn't it? You know, you would have been yeah. brought up with, I would you say. You put a pack of Oreos in yeah. front of me and I, it, it's, it's going to go, um, you know, <laughs> in any cookie really, but, but especially those ones. 
I'm like that with bourbon biscuits. Oh, yeah. I stop buying them because I just can't stop eating them. And custard creams as well, because you can go in somewhere and get like a whole pack of those for like less than a quid. Uh, and, I know, you know so I'll put cheap. it down on the desk yeah. on the forecasting shift and I'm like where did that pack of biscuits go <laughs> in, my, in my belly <laughs> in my tummy <laughs> if you were a fruit or vegetable what would you be <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness an onion <laughs> okay how comes you're gonna have to lots expand on that yeah <laughs> L- lots of layers I don't even know why that came to mind. I, don't, I really would have to think about that more. Yeah, if I do come back on the show at some point, ask me that question again. I'll I'll contemplate it for a few months. I, no, don't. I I think your instinct is right on that. The layers is probably about your your joy of detail. You know, so you've got something that in itself looks like an onion. It's like you would classify it as an onion, but when you like peel it back, there's lots of different bits to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's where I was going with that. Yeah. <laughs> Ashling's are going to be a psychologist next. She's yeah. I've noticed this. I've (laughs) noticed this from the podcast. She's when we get to that question, she's got an answer for people, and she can explain it. She's brilliant. (laughs) Couple of more questions. If you could invite one person to dinner, it can be anybody at all. Who would it be? From any time, you know, any time frame. Any time frame. Mm, That's a tough one. Uh, (laughs) Um. So if, if it's my sort of modern day answer, um, I, I, I was a massive fan of the Smashing Pumpkins and I was always fascinated by the lead singer uh, and guitarist, Billy Corgan. And I would always love to, he, he's an interesting guy on social media and that sort of thing. And I'd, I'd love to sit down and talk to him. But for, if we're going to go from a, a weather perspective, I, I'd love to sit down with someone like Theodore Fujita who, who uh, came up with the, the Fujita scale, um, yeah. you know, and rated tornadoes. And he was one of the first people to model how a tornado formed and how it occurred. So, you know, that he, he was way smarter than me. And most of the conversation was going over my head, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, that would be, that would be fun. I'd love to be at that conversation as well. If, if there's a spare <laughs> that would be an awesome conversation to have. <laughs> Yeah, 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 definitely. I think mine would be like a Wilhelm Bjorkneys, you know, like a f- the front guy to ask him about that. But yeah. Two more questions. This is okay. the really random one, which always gets some funny looks from people when we ask it. Including fingers, me. <laughs> Ash, fingers for toes or toes for fingers? Definitely fingers for toes. Yeah. I think only one person chose the other way. Did they? Yeah, I think one person did. I don't even remember who that was. No, I don't either, but someone did. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the dexterity and, and, you know, would I be able to type on a keyboard with my toes on my hands? Yeah, I don't think, I think it'd be really hard. Although, I think, I think it would just be cooler party tricks if you had fingers on your toes, though. Yeah. You know, you'd get more attention and you'd be able to do some cool stuff with that. So, I agree. You <laughs> could be so much more. The other way around, the other way around just looks a bit weird. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'd <hard> find <laughs> shoes. You would, yeah. You could at least hide the the toes in your uh, or the fingers on your toes in your you know shoes. big big yeah. size shoes. Yeah, it's true. You could go your whole life, and the only person that knows that you've got fingers on your feet is you. No one else would have. Yeah, them, exactly. <laughs> and our final question is: one thing that you wish everybody knew about the weather that we do get it right more often than we get it wrong. Great answer. It's a great answer. That is a great answer. Yeah. 
Yeah, we get a lot of it's stick. Very frustrating. Um, you know that you get these comments from people about you can get it wrong or you get it wrong half the you know all the time and all this. And I just think it, it's it's not 1980 anymore. 2021. People expect a four-day forecast to be correct now. And when it's not, they get angry about it. You know, a long time ago, well, not even a long time ago, 20 or 30 years ago, if you got the weather right the next day, people would be surprised. And now we're going a lot further out with it and we do get it right most of the time. And so that that would be my my sort of thing is to have a little bit more appreciation for the science of meteorology. Here, here. Great answer. Yep. <laughs> Great answer. So we also like to explain a little bit of something about the weather. So we call it our weather wisdom. So actually, I have a question for you for our weather wisdom, Chris. Does lightning strike twice? Yes. Yeah, it can strike somewhere twice. There's no reason why lightning can't strike the same place two times. So yes, you know, there's plenty of images of uh, of it striking uh, antennas and power poles and things like the, uh, the Empire State Building and things like that. So uh, yeah, the lightning will strike wherever it wants and it doesn't remember where it struck before. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's great. No, I don't know why people say lightning doesn't strike twice. I guess they're kind of equating it to a probabilistic, like, yeah, I mean, you know, like yeah, a, small guess, chance, a small chance happening again, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, lightning is relatively small. The Earth's surface is great. So, you know, the idea that it would hit the same place twice is pretty uncommon. But obviously lightning, uh, you know, the, the way it works is it likes to, to find the, the easiest path to, to the surface. And so oftentimes big trees and big buildings and antennas and that sort of thing are, are going to attract it more often than not. The path of least resistance, my, my current philosophy in life. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's, a good, um, it's a good title for a blog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just before we head off, we would just like to ask everybody, if you've enjoyed this episode, can you please subscribe, rate and review and share the podcast with everybody that you know if people want to follow you chris on social media where can they find you yeah um, i'm on twitter at Stormbell. so easy to remember such Storm a great Bell. twitter handle that's a great Seriously. handle Stormbell. so so great that's brilliant if you want to follow us um you can find us on instagram we are for the love of weather on twitter we are the number four love of weather we're on tiktok as well where we are for the love of weather and we would just like to say thank you so much again, Chris. This yeah, Chris, thank you so much. So great. It's been fascinating. And we are definitely going to have you back on again. For sure. <laughs> I've had an awesome time. No, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous of you guys getting to do this every week. So, um, yeah, please have me back if, uh, if I didn't bore you too much. <laughs> no, no not at all. No, you're com- definitely coming back. It's brilliant. We, we love great. it. We love it. We just, we can't, we're so lucky to talk to so many amazing people. So lucky. Yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. As always, though, we just really, really hope after speaking to Chris that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And we hope you join us again soon. Bye bye. Bye.